you in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to start reading from verse 5, and I want to talk to you for a few minutes today on a, a guy whose name is Zechariah. And I've been reading myself the, 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 the book of Luke over the past couple of weeks, and, and I've just, I love the book of Luke. Luke was a doctor, and so Luke, he kind of operates when he writes the scripture with more detail than anybody else who writes a gospel account. And so I want to keep it in mind as we read the detail of Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God and walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, he, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent, unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and, re and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Come on, let's bow our heads and pray as we go before the Lord. Father, I just pray right now that your word will resound in the hearts of every single individual in this room. Your word is already blessed, Father, but we ask you that your word will fall on good soil. Would you say this with me? Jesus, Jesus. make my heart and make my ears good soil. I pray this in your name. Amen. Man, growing up, my father... Awesome man of God, Pastor Felix Burgos, who started this church. He did everything he could to put my siblings and myself into private school, uh, this small private school named Zion Lutheran. And Zion was this little school that was very small, but they were very effective and just great at teaching. And I, I personally enjoyed my time there. Uh, but it wasn't without incident, you know, that, that school was there. We were a very poor family, and not all the time did we have the money for tuition. Now, my parents had described public school to me, don't judge me, as a jungle. It was a place of unrighteousness and wild places. And so I was always scared of public school, low key. And so 
One day my dad sits us down. I don't know. I'm maybe anywhere from between seven to nine years old at this time. And my dad sits us in his living room at 610 Colorado Avenue. And he says this. He says, we don't have the money for tuition. And all I could think of was jungle. Lewis is headed to the jungle. And so he says, as a family, we should pray that God would provide. And we began to pray. And we began to pray and pray. And I was praying. I was really praying. <laughs> so all of a sudden, we finish praying. We say amen. And not long thereafter, the phone rings. The landline rings. And for all of you young kids who don't know what I'm talking about, there used to be these things in the home, usually centralized in a hallway. And it would be on the wall most of the time. And it had about a 77,000-foot braided cord on it so that you could walk anywhere in the house with this phone. And if you were in the kitchen and your mom was cooking and you had to go to somewhere else in the house, you had to dive down under or you would be decapitated. Old folks call them landlines. And so the phone rings in the hallway, and my father goes and picks it up. And on the other side of that phone was the man who had borrowed money from my father long ago and had just remembered he owed my dad this money. And so he paid it back with interest. And God met the need of our family in that moment. And that moment marked me because I'm like, I'm going to pray some more just getting money like that. Jesus' name. <laughs> that moment really marked me as a young man because I realized that, you know what, like there's power in prayer. God answers prayer. But more than that, I want to ask you something. Isn't it good to be remembered? Like when somebody remembers you, isn't that like kind of cool when they, when they remember a small detail? In that moment, that man remembered that he owed us some money. But how much greater is it to be remembered by God? How much more when you thought that God forgot about something and that God brings it up when you least expect it? It just feels good to be remembered. And we live in a society where we're kind of like, it's almost like you don't have to remember stuff. Back in the day, you had to remember people's phone numbers. I wish I had a witness there. Carmen, you know what I'm talking about? You had to know the numbers. And you, you listen, man. Nowadays, you, you think I remember somebody's phone number. You could just sit there and send it. You could, not phone number, a birthday. You could just sit there on Facebook and it tells you, you know, Megan has a birthday today. You text your husband, Megan, make sure you say happy birthday to Pastor Lewis. It's his birthday today. You didn't even got to remember. Facebook tells you. But when I was a kid, you had to remember stuff. And sometimes people aren't good at remembering. I don't know how people forget important dates like anniversaries. Men, I don't know how you forget that kind of stuff. But then sometimes you can have 100 people tell you happy birthday, but the one person who didn't, you're sitting there at your house wallowing in pity. Why didn't that person text me? I was waiting for that person. But we like to be remembered. My wife has a really good knack at remembering the small details at home. I'm not good at that. At church, I can remember everything. And she's like, why don't you bring that excellence home? Like, it doesn't work. I tried. Once I come home, a switch goes off, honey. And I, I, I don't, she's like, you see the speck of dust on the church rug, but you won't vacuum the area rug. I'm like, honey, I bought a robot. I'll talk to him if he ain't doing his job. But she, I remember the other day we were having a staff meeting with Pastor Philip at my house. We were having all the employees over. We had breakfast. And she knows that I don't like toasted egg sandwiches. It's just a pet peeve. I don't know what it is. I want soft bread on my egg sandwich. Don't judge me. And she made everybody else a toasted sandwich and then brings me a separate sandwich with soft bread. I just looked at her. I said, babe, you remembered. You know, and I like to be remembered, right? We all have this thing. Like, oh, my God, you remembered that? The staff, my staff is really good. I love our, our employee staff. Would you put your hand together, our employees? Could you lower this a little bit? You ain't there. The employees are so phenomenal, and, and they remember something about Pastor Lewis. And please don't judge me on this next thing I'm going to tell you about myself. I'm going somewhere, I promise. Pastor Lewis hates paper plates, and I hate styrofoam plates. 
and I will not eat off of a paper or styrofoam plate. It's an ongoing joke with the team. And there's a reason. My dad traumatized me. He hid all of our plates for like a year and a half because my sister wouldn't do dishes. And so all I had was paper plates. And when you eat rice and beans on paper plates and it soaks in and you're scraping paper. And so when they're feeding people around here, you see me with a glass plate. I'm not trying to be bougie. I just have a pet peeve. But the staff remembers that. And every time, it never gets old. I'm like, you remembered that, Jay? Thank you. Like, wow, I like to be remembered. We all do. Man, but how bad does it feel to be forgotten? Have you ever felt like God forgot you? Have you ever felt like maybe God wasn't with you? No matter what you did. And we're standing at the time of year where one or two things are happening. You are sitting in your house saying, another great year. Or you're sitting in your house saying, man, another year where I thought God would have done something different. Another year where I was hoping that God would have been more faithful in this area. And sometimes when we feel like God's not faithful, it challenges our faithfulness. I wish you were honest there. That was a great opportunity to be like, you know what, Pastor? You was talking right. Sometimes when God's not, when it feels like God's not doing what we think he should do, we stop doing what we should do. I want to talk to you for a few minutes on this topic I've entitled, The Art of Faithfulness, from the man, Zechariah the priest. We just read his story, and Zechariah is an interesting dude. Like, Zechariah is old, and we know this because in between verses 5 and 36, over three times it tells us he was old. One, one, one version says he was advanced in years. And they're trying to get this point across that this dude is old and dusty. And this old dusty dude, he is in the temple, and he is a priest of the Lord. He's a mighty, actually faithful man of God, but he has an issue. And the issue in his life is that he has never been able to produce a son with his wife or let alone a child at all. And I don't know if you know this, but in the times of the Bible, if you had no children, people looked at you as if God was disapproving of you. And that's why the woman like Hannah, the mother of Samuel, and all these women who were barren in the Bible, they were greatly distressed because people would look at them with eyes of reproach, like you can't even have a kid for your husband. What a horrible woman you are. Ironically, we even know right now medically, half the time it might have been the husband's fault. But in those days, the woman was instantly blamed. And here is Zechariah, who's a priest of the Lord, and Elizabeth herself is from the lineage of the priesthood. And Zechariah is one of over 20,000 priests in Israel at the time. And these 20,000 priests were split up into 24 groups of just a little over 1,000 each group. And they would each serve two weeks in the temple throughout the year. And among the many things that needed to be done while they were doing their temple duties twice a year was that they, these priests, would need to burn incense on the altar of the Lord. And this was the last part of a ceremony where all the other priests would have left and there would have been this just one priest doing it. And on this day, it's Zechariah. He was chosen by lots to be able to do this. He was the guy. Now, you might need, you don't know this, but doing this is the holiest thing a priest could do. And they were only allowed to do it once in their lifetime. And most priests spent their entire life and never got to burn incense on the altar. This is the holiest of all holy things that they could do in the temple. And on this day, it's Zechariah's turn in his old age. He's at the pinnacle of his priestly career. He is there among the priests doing his duties and he's burning incense on the altar. And at that time, the prayer as they burned the incense was that they were supposed to pray for the salvation of Israel. 
And as they prayed for the salvation of Israel, they would burn the incense. And so there is Zechariah as an old man. He's at the pinnacle of his priestly career, but also simultaneously, he's this man filled with unfulfilled expectations. It's ironic that you can have the best career moment of your life and still feel empty in every other area. You could be making the most money you ever made in your life, but feel empty because you're doing it by yourself. You could be sitting there having the most successful season of your life, but in your heart there is a longing for maybe a relative or a spouse or a child to be enjoying it with you, but it's not there. Maybe a broken relationship or a friend and you're enduring setting and you want them to celebrate and rejoice with you, but there's an unfulfilled expectation in your heart and you can't go there with them. Zechariah is simultaneously at the most empty place of his life and at the most fulfilling place of his life. This is amazing to me. And there is Zechariah, and he is, he is doing this. Have you ever had a dream die because you feel like you're getting too old for it to come true? Maybe you're older in your years here, and there are so many things that as a young man or a young woman you thought you would do, and you were like, God, maybe that ship has sailed because I am 50, 60 plus, I'm 70 plus, and those things have not come to fruition. That's where he's at. Maybe you're young here and just a little bit dramatic and you think that your life is coming to an end because you're about to hit 40 or something like I am in five years. And I'm like, oh my God, Lord, when are you going to do some things? But all of us to some interval have these things in our life which are desires that maybe you are losing hope for because you're getting older or you've just been waiting so long. You are weary. That's Zechariah. He, he's way past waiting. His wife cannot have kids. Her womb is dead. He's old, which means he's dead in Jesus' name in that area, and he can't do nothing. He's dried up, as the Bible would say about Abraham. He's withered in his life. He's an old man now. His strength has left him. And so there's Zechariah, the whole congregation outside praying. He's inside the temple, and on the biggest day of his priestly career, the angel of the Lord shows up. Nobody else in the temple but him. Dude is shook. You know how I know? Because the Bible says in, in English, it says he was filled with fear. Or one version says fear fell on him. Like he was shook, shook. Of all the time for the angel of the Lord to show up on the day where I'm doing the holiest thing, you want to show up and mess up my ceremony. <laughs> I can just imagine him like, <laughs> what do you want? And the angel says to him, hey, Zechariah, I want to tell you something. Um, the Lord has heard your prayers. And, listen to that, and, and your wife will bear you a son, and his name will be John. Two things about that. He wasn't praying for a son at that season in his life. He's at the altar praying for the salvation of Israel. And because Jesus is about to be born in about 12 months from that time, he's saying that prayer is being answered. But also, an old, rusty, dusty prayer you thought I forgot about, that one also is going to be answered. And your wife is about to have a child. Your wife is about to have a child. And all I could think to myself was, yo, how does Zechariah get here? And I want to define here for you. By here, I mean this. How does Zechariah get to be, right, that in a place of his old age, even though he never saw the expectations of his life fulfilled, he was still serving God. 
that even though he never ever saw anything come to fruition that he deeply wanted in the, in the realm of having a child and a son and he was still yet in the priesthood still doing the work of God and being faithful how did he get there to be in a position to have God pour out on him and to meet him right where he was supposed to be how did he not get mad at God this is something that we all face, that when God doesn't answer our prayers, do we continue to be faithful or do we let God's seemingly lack of doing what we've asked him to do keep us from being faithful? This is a word in and of itself. You see, we act as if God's goodness is tied to his performance in our lives. Even though that his goodness is nowhere near tied to that performance, how did Zechariah still end up in the priesthood, but not bitter, even though people were looking down on him and his wife, looking sideways at them like, yo, you're a priest, Zechariah, that's him. He ain't got no kid. God must be upset with him. He probably got some secret sins because that's how that community was. But there was Zechariah. He was being faithful. Things in life didn't go his way, but he was being faithful. It's a place we all need to get to because not all of your expectations will be fulfilled by God. But how do you keep on being faithful? Listen, as a pastor, I'll tell you right now, it's been hard over 14 years of pastoring to remain faithful when you have a ton of unfulfilled expectations and dreams and desires that you thought would have happened in a certain time frame. And God's like, no, not yet. Not just on a pastoral level, but on a personal level. But I have to realize that God's goodness is not tied to his performance in my life. You see, but for many believers, when God doesn't come through the way you think he should, you pray less, you read the word less, you start serving less, you only come to church when you serve, you stop giving in the offering because you're doing your own thing on the side, whatever you're doing, and you just do it in your own way. You try to take more control of your life rather than giving God more of your life. And so there is Zechariah, and he's done the actual opposite. Many people get offended by God when he doesn't do what you want him to do. This is all too common in the church and nowadays in this culture that we live in where everything is like instant gratification. We think that God has to do things the way we want and when we want. And many have fallen out of step with the community of believers and we've fallen out of step with the Lord. And God's like, hey, what's going on in the house? I, I went down south a couple of, maybe about a month ago, and I was sitting in a mega church, and they were, they were saying that a statistic was that after COVID, only 30 to 40% of believers went back to church. And many of them aren't even in the faith anymore. That means the other 60 to 70% were attached to a church time on Sunday and not Christ. Listen, you don't understand this. 60 to 70% of the church in America backslid last year understand this the gravity of that and if we're not careful in our comfort we'll do the same thing we'll find a reason we'll find it and here's the thing they've not gone somewhere else many of them are just not serving god anymore they were attached to not god but to church and zachariah he's living in this place of unfulfilled expectation but he is still Serving God. How did he end up not being bitter at the Lord? Here's point number one. That faithfulness is a shield against bitterness. Faithfulness is like a shield because bitterness, the enemy tries to bring bitterness into your life in certain areas. He will make you look at people differently. He'll make you look at God's people differently. He'll make you look at God differently. And he never starts at making you look at God differently. He starts with making you look at people who serve God differently. 
Because if he can mar the image of God inside of people, he can break relationships and community. And then once he mars that image, he goes after the image of God himself in your life. That's the work of the enemy. But faithfulness actually is a, a literal shield against bitterness. It's so easy to, read this, easy to read this story and to like focus on the angelic encounter, on the miraculous birth. But look at verse 6. This is a real miracle. And they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They were both righteous. They were both husband and wife serving the Lord, committed to God, and committed to the ways of God. They made a decision in spite of failed expectations, in spite of failed hopes and dreams, to live in the congregation and to be looked at on by others with reproach, but yet not look at God and think he was not worthy. They were actually being faithful. They were righteous before God, meaning that they sought God, they went after God, and they pleased God in every area of their life. And the Bible says they were blameless. Not that they were perfect, but they had no life of sin that anybody can come and look at them and say, have you heard about Danny? Hmm. She got some dirt up in these streets. Have you heard about Rich? He over there walking around with pastor, but I know about that dude. <laughs> they were blameless. Nobody, the only thing they can say is they ain't got no kids. There must be. Because sometimes people have nothing to say, so they make up something. It must be because, you know, he's like that beaker. If he had them, hmm, I just wonder. Hmm, I ain't saying nothing about it. I'm just saying. I'm like, what? That's, that's saying something. But that's the nature of people. We look for something to blame it on. Right? We've all done that at some interval in our lives. But this is huge. They walked in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, the Bible says. Meaning they controlled their thoughts, their minds, their tongues, their behavior, and they were diligently seeking the Lord to please him in everything. And they exhibited self-control in all of their doings. They were, somebody say it with me, faithful. Faithful. And Zechariah continued his duty as a priest and never allowed for bitterness to come in and take root. And faithfulness was his shield against bitterness. It means that they were faithful to the faith, faithful to the congregation, faithful to people in their lives, even though they were being looked at sideways. They offended nobody. They lived honestly before God and others. They talked bad about nobody when people talked bad about them, and they didn't use their pain as a reason to hurt anybody. Man, y'all, that's some mature living right there. That's some faithfulness right there. I'll say that again. They offended nobody, and they didn't use their pain to hurt anybody else. If you're going to be positioned for God to do the impossible in your life, if you want to encounter God at some interval in your life and he just breaks through in your life, you got to be faithful. you got to find a way to be faithful. You know, my prayer life and my, my intimacy, my reading the scripture, it keeps me before the fire of the Lord so that when my heart is troubled, I can't be bitter against God because I love God too much. I can't be bitter against God's people because God is in them. And if I love God, I love them. Because I can't love God and hate his children. I can't love God and be at odds with his children. It just can't happen. Faithfulness blocks bitterness. How can I be faithful to God when bitterness is trying to come in, right? Well, it's when you pray and when you seek the Lord. How can you actually work efficiently for God or in the kingdom and still remain bitter? When you do it with the right heart, you will never remain bitter because you know that God is still worthy of it. And then you realize that your unfulfilled expectations, hopes, and dreams are not reason for you to give up on God. You with me? I digress for 30 seconds to let you know that I'm not saying that faithfulness is dependent, that God's faithfulness, rather, is dependent on your faithfulness. 
Paul would tell Timothy in one scripture that this is a faithful saying. That even though he, that we are not faithful, he is yet still faithful. And so what I'm not saying is that the way you get God to be faithful is if you're faithful. What I am saying, though, is that when you are faithful, you position yourself for the superior things of God. You position yourself for God to do the extraordinary things in your life in light of unfulfilled expectations, dead hopes and dreams, or bitterness and anger, or frustration and offendedness. If you're faithful, you put yourself in the right position. Because over and over in Scripture, we're told to be faithful. We see Paul being faithful through persecution and torment. We see the early church scattered and lose everything, but they are faithful. We see Paul saying to Titus in Titus 1.9 to be faithful to the word of God. It was in those moments of them being faithful that it sets the stage for God's grace to be displayed in their life, for God to show off in their life. We are called to be faithful in this sinful generation. We're called to be faithful. This generation, as the Bible would describe it, in the last days, it would be an adulterous and sinful generation. And so there is faithful Zechariah encountering the angel Gabriel and he reaches so far back into Zechariah's prayer life and he pulls out this old dusty prayer request. He's like, oh, and by the way, you're about to have a son. Your old wife, Elizabeth, is about to give birth. They were likely no longer praying for this thing. They were likely, that dream has sailed for them. But here is God and all the joy of being remembered by God. The joy of God coming through and you're like, well, God, you remembered me? My daughter, Emmy, she's got some issues. She loves shopping. And then she goes to Marshall's, my wife's favorite store. And she shops with mom at Marshall's. And, and the reason she likes shopping is because every time she goes, she gets something. And then she goes home after she's picked out her own toy, her own thing. And she says, mommy, you got a surprise for me? But my surprise. And we give her the thing she picked out and she asks about, oh, I like it. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with that kid? That's how Zechariah felt. He had picked out this prayer request years ago. And here comes God giving it to him. He's like, oh. But he was really shocked. But God remembered Zach. If God remembered Zach, he's going to remember you. If God could do it then, God can do it again. He knows the desires of your heart. But if we want God to do what he did, then we should do what Zach did and be faithful. Here's point number two, real simple. That faithfulness sets the stage for God's goodness to be displayed. That faithfulness kind of sets the table for God's goodness to be displayed. That if we're faithful, even when it hurts, and even when it feels like nothing is going right the way it should, that God, that God will show up in due season. Where did God find our boy, Zach? He found him in the temple doing the work of a priest. And God has a long history throughout scripture of finding people in the place they should be and not in the place they want to be. He found a young man named Samuel who was just a, a young boy sleeping in the temple, keeping the lamp of God on fire, putting fresh oil in it every couple of hours, which was the job of Eli, the, the high priest, but he was too tired and old to do it. So Samuel was stepping in for him. And where did God say, Samuel? I always think to myself, what if Samuel wasn't in the temple at that place? What if God didn't find a young shepherd boy named David in the field, working, doing his job? 
The prophet Samuel comes to his father, Jesse, and says, bring me all your sons. One of them is king. I got to find out which one. They bring all the sons, and he's like, something's wrong. Somebody's missing. Is this all your sons? Or there's one more in the field. Man, I'd rather be caught in the field than in my feelings when God comes to bless me. I'd rather be caught being faithful rather than be at home being sour about what my life is now. I want to be faithful. Lord, catch me preaching and not sitting there crying about something in the corner. Catch me being faithful, God. Where did God find Elisha the Tishbite? Behind 12 yoke of oxen in the field, working hard before the calling of God came on his life. You've got to be faithful to what he's called you to until the next thing comes. You'll never get that sense of fulfillment in your life by being in your feelings, but you will get it by being faithful. He finds him being faithful. He found David being faithful. He found Elisha being faithful. Faithful, what a comforting thought to think that God remembers us. The old things we've prayed about. He looks at us. He sees our faithfulness. And he's like, man, have you seen my boy Richard? Over there in the corner, single, looking ready to mingle. Have you seen my boy Richard? (laughs) Don't stand in that corner. I'm going to call you out at some point. (laughs) Serving in the house of God, being faithful, even though things might not be perfect. Have you seen Josh and Megan? Have you seen Daniel? Have you seen Carlos? And that's how God works. I've told you before the story of Job. Job is simultaneously having the greatest time of his life in heaven where he's being praised, where God says, have you considered Job? And on the earth, he's going through the worst season of his life. Could it be that the reason you're going through some of the worst seasons of your life is because heaven is singing your highest praises? Because God is like faithful. And Satan's like, let me, let, let me check that out. That's where we find these people. But where are you going to be when God finds you? You have to find a love for God apart from his performance in your life. You have to find a love for God apart from what he does for you. Because we say churchy things all the time. If God never does another thing for me, I'll be fine. He's done enough. But we have a prayer list 18 pages long. And if he doesn't do those things, we ain't praising as we used to be. We're doing a little bit less of the kingdom. We're sowing a little bit less. We're upset with God. Revelations 2.10 commands us to be faithful even unto death that we might receive the crown of life. And that might not be a popular teaching in the church today, but are you ready to die for your faith? Are you ready to do that for the Lord? It's our faithfulness that sets the stage for the greatest blessings of God to come. That Zechariah and Elizabeth discovered this as they were being faithful. I want that to be my testimony, that Burgos was faithful, that Lewis was faithful, that Pastor was faithful, and God found him at the plow. God found him working in the field. God found him, and God anointed him and did something great in his life because he was being faithful. And that God in that moment resurrected forgotten dreams and dead hopes because I was being faithful and I give myself every excuse to be unfaithful sometimes but God reminds me why I should be faithful the moment I begin to agree with the enemy as to why I should not have to do what God's called me to do in this season then I tell myself well you know then I'll just not do it maybe I should quit being pastor maybe I should quit this maybe I should quit that how many things have you quit on feeling like God forgot about you I want to challenge you this year you have maybe three weeks left to this year can you finish it faithful Can you finish it strong? Not with delayed expectations and hopes, but saying, God, there's more time for you to work. God, I'm looking forward to next year because if you ain't do it this year, maybe you're going to do it next year. Maybe that's the year you're doing, God, and I still have faith and hope at the end of that year too because my love and my affection for you, Lord, is not tied to my performance. That was something early on in my marriage that I found out, me and my wife had to discover this, that you have to love and respect each other apart from performance. And even when it's not happening, you still got to treat them with love and respect unconditionally. 
And even when they're acting up or I was acting up, I had to love unconditionally because my love for you is not based on what you do for me. It's based on who you are in my life. You're my wife. I'm your husband. I love you. That's different. When I read this scripture a few weeks ago, all I could think about was God remembered Zechariah's old prayer request. God pulled up this old prayer request. I don't know what you've been praying for in your past. I don't know what you gave up on, but I want to tell you, expect the unexpected in this season. Keep your eyes wide open. Don't be in your feelings. Be in your faithfulness. Sit there and say, God, I know that you're going to do something. I'm going to set the stage for you to do it, God, with my faithfulness. He might take the oldest prayer you prayed and bring it to your memory and say, this is the one. You're like, that one, God? Are you serious? That one? He's like, I got you. I want to tell you, there's a power in being faithful. To recap, I want to close with this thought. Faithfulness is a shield against bitterness. When you're truly in the place of being faithful, there's no room for bitterness. Secondly, when you're faithful, it sets the stage for the grace of God to be displayed. And some days, I want to tell you, that grace being displayed would just be strength to get through. I wish I had a witness there. It will not always be that God has done exactly what you wanted. It might just be that he gave you just enough strength to not strangle somebody in your household that day. To not end up on the 7 o'clock news. In other news, local pastor kicks a neighbor. Like, you know? He's giving you the grace to get through and not lose it. He's giving you the strength to get through while you wait. See, being faithful in God's terms is not always giving you what you want. Sometimes it's giving you what you need. That's how good God is. So there's this guy, Zechariah. He's being told by God that I'm going to resurrect your deepest desire in your heart, and you're about to be a dad. God's telling him that in his old age, they're about to have a kid. Not only that, at their old age, that child's going to bring them a lot of joy. Danny preached about this a couple of weeks ago. See, they loved righteousness and they hated evil. So he pours the oil of joy on them. And he does it through a child. Not only that, this child will bring joy to other people, the Bible says. Others will rejoice at his birth. And then he's going to prepare the way for the people to meet their king. He's going to be a preparer of the path of God. And as he prepares the path for God, he's going to turn a whole generation back to the heart of God. And Jesus will come not long after. And the ministry of Jesus will begin to lead to the the Christian faith being birthed. don't, Don't underestimate the things you've asked God for. They thought they asked for a son. Instead, God gave them much more than just a child. He gave them a legacy. He gave them a nation restored. He gave them a son who would be like the prophet Elijah in the wilderness crying out, preparing the way. Man, I don't know about you. I want to be found faithful. But here's the crazy part. This dude, Zechariah, does not believe. This guy, Zechariah, he does not believe. Listen to what he says to the angel. How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Yo, this is serious here. Zechariah's doubt that he was encountering the word of the Lord caused him to question the angelic messenger. He does something that we often do when we doubt God. And I can't spend a lot of time. I wish I had more time on this. I really do. But I don't have enough time to tell you everything I want to tell you about this. He asked God for a sign. How shall I know? 
Many of us, when we doubt God, well, God, give me a sign. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 4, a wicked and perverse generation asks for a sign. He said to Thomas, blessed is he who does not see but believes. The angel Gabriel, he looks at Zechariah, oh, you want a sign? You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. You're not going to be able to talk until your baby's born. Since you doubted, since you had no faith, I'll stop you from ruining anything else in your life. I'll stop you from causing doubt in your wife. You ain't going to be able to talk. I stopped for just 30 seconds to ask you this one question. I asked you this one question. What if the battle you're facing and the struggle that you are entrenched in is the very sign you asked for? For nine months now, Zechariah was mute. He couldn't talk. For nine months, maybe the reason you can't hear God, this is the last time you did, you asked God for a sign. Maybe the reason you're struggling to actually advance in the area you're trying to advance in is because God has put you on mute just because you doubted him the last time he spoke to you. And the next time you hear God is when that thing is birthed in your life. And the choice you have right now is will I believe or will I walk away from what God has said? Either God has brought me to this house for a reason and planted me here and planted me in the faith or I'm going to walk away from God because I have unfulfilled hopes and expectations in my life or I'm upset about some things in my life. And then we think to ourselves, well, I'm not hearing God anymore, Rich. It must, it must be the church. It must be pastor. It must be Josh. It must be Daniel. It must be somebody. It can't be me and God. It's because you asked for a sign. will shut you right up. Zechariah asked for a sign. And the angel's like, you got it. Mute. <laughs> Be careful what you ask for. He asked for a sign, but he got a struggle instead. He asked for a sign. But instead, God says, that it's not a sign that you need, it's faith. It's an order that you don't ruin anything else. I'm just going to mute you real quick. There's a verse you need to look at and see something so important in verse 20. And behold, you'll be silent, unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Here's point number three, and I close with this, that where there is faithfulness, there is fulfillment. What I mean by that is this, that every good and perfect promise from God is on its own timetable, and there's nothing that you can do to accelerate it. Let me tell you something. God is not busy preparing your promises. He's preparing you for the promise. He's, he's, not, he's not trying to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this promise and tweak it. I don't know how. I'm going to give it to Sister Danny. I have to tweak it like this. He's like, it's done. I got to tweak Danny. I got to tweak Lewis. I got to tweak Eric. I got to fix some things in their life because in our immaturity, we would spoil the things that God gives us. In our unfaithfulness, we would spoil it. Like God said, I got to work on them. You see, you can't rush God's perfect promises. What you might not know is that Zechariah had just started probably his two-week tour of duty at the temple. And here's what he did not do. He did not run away from his work the moment God gave him a word. That's what some of us are. God give us a word. Danny, you're going to have a husband. Send you a prophet. Your husband's coming. I want you to be prepared. And the first guy comes, it must be him. Don't inspect his faith. You don't do this. You don't do that. And you end up in turmoil. I'm not saying you're doing that. Example. God says, I'm going to increase your finances. The first job that comes your way. I'm going to take that one. 
must be God. And God said, no, no, I want you to stay faithful where you were. I was going to promote you from within. Sometimes we have a way in our immaturity once we get a word to run in a place that God hasn't called us to. It takes maturity to handle the word of God in our lives. He was faithful. Listen to verse 23. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. When he finished his tour of duty, he didn't go ahead of time and tell Elizabeth and it down, Elizabeth, turn on the Luther Vandross, tonight's the night, girl. He waited because there was perfect timing in God. I went to, I traveled a lot this year and I went to California about 10 or 12 times. I can't remember. I spent about 10 or 12 weeks there. And, and I, I, I like when I travel to go to different restaurants. I'm a foodie in case you didn't know that about me. I just love food in Jesus' name. I'm so glad that we're going to have food in heaven. How do I know that? The marriage supper of the Lamb. Thank you very much. So glad I'm going to be eating in heaven. Let there be pizza, God. Please let there be pizza. So, so I'm, in, I'm in California. I'm in Rancho Cucamonga. I'm on Archibald Avenue. And one of the locals tells me there's a Chinese place called China Spot. You got to check it out. And I love Chinese food. Man, I went in there. It was an old school sit-in Chinese restaurant. And as you're waiting, there's signs everywhere at every table. And there's signs on every wall. Literally, at every booth, on the wall, and on the table. And it says, good food takes time. This is not a 15-minute Chinese shop. You will wait a long time for your food because every meal is made to order. Nothing is pre-prepared. I was like, okay. <laughs> Took about 45 minutes to get my meal. The best food I ever had in my life in terms of Chinese food. The best. I would literally fly back over there just for that restaurant. For a day trip. I swear to you I would. It was that good. It was that good. I asked my wife if we can go one day. She's like, oh, we'll think about that, Lewis. <laughs> go for just the restaurant and fly right back. I'm like, yes, babe, trust me. But you know what? Good things take time. And as God prepares something, don't rush it. Right? No rushing in the promises of God. Take your time. If you're faithful with God, the good promises come. And in this rush culture, we have to slow down and realize that your faithfulness brings fulfillment. Not your feelings, not your fears, your faithfulness. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to challenge you that the faithfulness you need is to give your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you have been in church for a while, but you don't know God as your real Savior. You're not even in relationship with him. You're just in attendance at the church. I want to challenge you to really be faithful with God and give him your life today. If you know God and you're here and you're having trouble in your walk with God and your faithfulness, you know it in your heart has been up and down. I want to challenge you. Finish this year strong and then go nuts next year. Being faithful to God. This is not a season for you to miss out on what God's trying to do. Because there's a wave of glory coming to the house of God. There's a wave of glory coming to the house of God. And I want to tell you, good surfers wait for the right wave. And when it comes, will you get that wave? Man, faithfulness, church. Maybe you need to ask God today to help your heart to be faithful. Come on, stand with me today. I hope you've been blessed by God's word today. Not by Lewis, not by pastor, but by the word of the Lord. Because he's asking us, will you be faithful in this season? Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to ask you a real simple question. I got two questions for you. We're bowing our heads just out of reverence for God. And number one is this. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, or you haven't made that commitment, or you need to recommit, and you want to do that now, would you lift your hand as high as you can? Thank you already. I see you in the back. Thank you. As high as you can. Come on. Come on. Come on. There's over 11 hands raised right now. Come on. 12 and 13. Come on. Come on. Come on. 
Let's pray a simple prayer with them today, right now. Jesus, here I am. All my flaws, all my sins, I'm here. I confess with my mouth. I believe it in my heart. But you can take it all away. Would you make me over right now? I want to be faithful. I want to be counted faithful. I give you permission to come into my life. Completely take over. And help me start again. By your grace, I will walk with you all the days of my life. Can you hear it? Can you hear heaven just celebrating right now? Can you hear it? Come on, we thank you, Jesus. Come on, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. One more time, would you bow your heads? We're a little over time here, but would you just bow your heads one more time? If you know that you know God, but you haven't, you've been struggling up and down with your faithfulness, or maybe you're just here, and you know that in your heart, like your walk with the Lord is not where it could and should be, and you've allowed for the feelings of this season to attack the faithfulness of your life. And you've always been faithful, but this season in particular, you feel up and down. If that's you, would you lift your hands as high as you can? I want to just pray with you today that your faith would not fail you. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, I pray that your faith would not fail you when the test comes. Come on. Be honest with yourself right here, right now. If that's you, lift your hand as high as you can. Come on, this hand's going up all over. I'm going to be faithful in this season, God, by your grace. I'm not ashamed. And us lifting our hands is us just being obedient to the, to the Spirit of God in this room saying, you know, I'm right here. It's me. It's me standing in the need of your prayer today. It's the Holy Spirit of your intercession, Jesus, and I need your touch today. Yeah, thank you, Father. Come on, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you see every hand that is raised. And you know every hope and dream and expectation and desire that feels so far off. Oh, but God, by your mercy and by your grace, you're the God who still requires us to be faithful while you're working out the fulfillment. Jesus, I pray right now for supernatural grace to sustain every brother and sister who has lifted their hands, for every brother and sister online who maybe has indicated, that's me, pastor, it's me. I need that strengthening from the Lord. I want to be counted faithful. I want to be faithful. Would you do it now, Lord Jesus? If you raise your hand, would you tell them right now, I receive your strength. I, re I receive your grace. And by your strength, and by your grace, I'm going to walk this out. Just take 20 seconds to just receive the strength of the Lord. Broken hearts be mended in Jesus' name. Burdened hearts be made light in Jesus' name. Weary shoulders carrying so much weight not designed for you. Would you give it to the Lord this morning? The fulfillment is not up to you. Faithfulness is. Teach us to be faithful. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Come on, the church says. Amen, amen and amen. We love you.